Hey guys, just a quick reminder that while we're going to be releasing episodes uh, weekly per usual, a lot of the guests that we'll be releasing episodes for, um, their restaurants or wineries or breweries or distilleries or whatever it is, um, might not be open uh, to their normal capacity right now. You know, a lot of places uh, in Austin, they have a a stay-at-home order until May 1st, and so a lot of the restaurants are just straight up closed until May 1st and, and maybe beyond, beyond, so we'll see. Um, a lot of them are doing curbside and things like that. So when you listen to the episode, if you want to support these places, feel free to go onto their websites. Um, I, I usually have before we even release the episode, and most of them have some sort of disclaimer telling what their situation uh, is you know, depending on the spot. So a lot of them, you can still do curbside. A lot of them are doing online orders and things like that. Um, so if you want to go support these places or any of the other businesses, uh, in the archives, I, 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 you know, I urge you to do that. I think that's a good thing for our part. Shotgun is offering free delivery on any coffee orders, uh, within the San Antonio city limits. So if you order a bag of coffee or two bags of coffee, you want to join our weekly or monthly subscription service. Or if you want to order a five pound bag of a whole bean, freshly roasted coffee, uh, just put in the code S A T X coffee at checkout. Uh, it's on the top of our website and you'll get free delivery with that order. So, um, we've been doing that for about a month now and, and we've been, I've been doing several a day. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We'll be getting uh, some new copies in this week, uh, and we'll be releasing some new fun things. I know we've already given away some seriously chocolate bars. That so was actually a, a guest on the podcast a few weeks back. Uh, we've given away some eleven by seventeen prints with you know certain orders uh, just for fun. So if you haven't signed up for our email, sign up for that stuff. Get on our Instagram. Uh, We'll be doing something with Casa Chocolates, which is a bean-to-bar chocolate maker here in San Antonio this week. And like I said, we'll be getting a new uh, uh, Burundi coffee in, too. Uh, that should be really good. So, uh, yeah, support the places on the podcast and uh, enjoy the episode. Thanks. Building Something Out of Nothing is brought to you by Lift Fund. For over 25 years, Lift Fund has backed entrepreneurs who build something out of nothing by providing responsive insights and small business capital when others aren't able to. If you need help launching your passion into a reality, visit liftfund.com today. Building Something Out of Nothing is brought to you by Geekdom. Geekdom is the largest co-working space in the city with the focus of building downtown San Antonio one startup at a time. Visit geekdom.com today to schedule a free tour. What's up, guys? This is Eddie Laughlin, co-founder of Shotgun House Coffee Roasters, and you're listening to Building Something Out of Nothing, a small business podcast right here in San Antonio. Today's guest is Dennis Rylander, co-founder of Ranger Creek Brewing and Distilling in San Antonio. We sit down at the brewery and chat about the company's origins and the local brewing scene back in 2010, the unique challenges of opening a combination brewery and distillery, their foray into retailers like HEB and Total Wine, the beer and whiskey varieties and processes, and how a group of friends drew up a business plan over many, many beers at the Flying Saucer and founded Ranger Creek Brewing and Distilling, San Antonio's award-winning brew distillery. Enjoy. By the way, is there, uh, and we'll get to the hours and everything yeah. later on, um, is there a limit to how many bottles of like whiskey they can buy? <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was like a two-bottle limit. I could be incorrect. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, there's a short answer and a long answer to that question. Okay. So I think up to about six years ago, we couldn't sell anything to go, which was 
uh, really why there, there was nothing going on here for the right. most part. We can do limited tours. It was tours, and that was And people yeah, were yeah, yeah. paying for the tour, and then we sampled. We gave them the beer for okay. free and the whiskey for free as samples. Uh, then, uh, fast forward, uh, we were able to start selling whiskey to go, which, yes, is limited to two 750-milliliter bottles okay. uh, every month. A month, yeah. And then starting September 1st, so just over a week ago, you add a case of beer on top of that a day. Yeah. So now my people can come out here and pick up quite a, quite a bit of liquor. And so the deal with beer to go is yeah. that if you were just kind of a brew pub, it was like seven barrels or yeah. less or whatever it was, you could already do that. Yeah. But for breweries like you and like Real Ale Brewing and like yeah. some of those guys, now people can just come here and buy a six-packer up to like two cases. What is it? Exactly. Yeah, it's one case a one day case. per person. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the details around the law is, is a little bit complicated. But basically, if you're a brew pub setup, right. then you, you could already do it. That's why some, you know, some places you go, you can already do that. And for and us, already, we have haven't seen been much able of a, to. Have you seen people coming and, and buying beer from y'all? Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. And, I mean, you'll see future releases that we do of just yeah, beer options that you can just get out here. That's awesome. Uh, it changes a little bit how we think about our space because people come in every now and then pick up whiskey. But just, you know, that's not going to be as frequent because you typically don't uh, consume a bottle of whiskey just over a week. Right, right, right. right. But we see people come, come back for the beer more frequently. Oh, <laughs> I'd be all about buy, it, man. That'd a six-pack or two six-packs. So it's been really good. I, I, I anticipate it's going to keep growing, and we just need to make sure we have the beer here ready for them. And can they get more of your special releases out here, too? Exactly. So we kind of okay. keep stock of all the previous releases. So okay. if you're interested in our... Any of our small batch that we've done, which is kind of our, our sour program or our bourbon barrel series, we keep those here as well. Cool. So when I moved to San Antonio, I moved from Austin to San Antonio in 2015, and I got here and, you know, I'm very into local beer. And, you yeah. know, I was up there drinking hops and grain and 512 Brewing and all those things. So I wanted to see what San Antonio had to offer and quickly came upon you guys and, and awesome. uh, really, really enjoyed kind of your year on offerings and things yeah. that you had. You have the... The come down, which one's that? With the, Sunday morning coming down. Has coffee yeah. in it and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I was just super into it. Have you have the year-round hef? Um, what what's some of your year-round offerings? Uh, right now, it's actually the two you mentioned. So Sunday morning coming down is yeah. our coffee ale, which is a British strong ale. Okay. Uh, and then we have the Love Struck Hefe, which is our wheat German style wheat beer, which was actually the beer we started as home brewers way back when. Right. So that, right. that is a long long story to it. Uh, two other ones is our Sky Trooper IPA, awesome. which uh, we just recently launched a couple of months ago. Say, that's a relatively new one. It's our newest, newest year-round, uh, but it's been quickly growing, so I definitely recommend you, you giving it a, a oh, go. I will, man. And then our the one we're drinking is our San Antonio Lager, which has kind of become our uh, staple brand. It's kind of like your signature beer, but it's it a is. newer beer a little bit. I mean, In the portfolio, I mean, we've been wanting to do it for, for a while. So it just kind of came together where we decided to move into cans Okay. Uh, in the beginning of 2017. Was this the first can release then? Exactly. Okay, so, so that was the whole idea. We partnered this. with HEB. Uh, we did a Prima pick with them, and that was kind of the initial launch of this beer. Oh, that's awesome. And then it's just, uh, it's just been... And what, what, what's, what's kind of, it's a German, it's a German lager, Yeah, correct? so Munich Hells, it's just a German style lager. Um, it's just intended to be an easy drinking, um, I mean, just for this climate, like you can't, you can't yeah. really beat it. So, oh, you can't beat it. Uh, right? We just make, make a lot of it just with that thing in mind. And a lot of what we, I <laughs> yeah. guess, do is, 
try and try and make sure it's authentic to the, its origins. So in this circumstance, we're mimicking the water profile of, of Munich right. um, for this beer, and we just felt that it was a good beer for for the San Antonio market. Yeah, it's beautiful packaging, yeah. and uh, I'm a little bit surprised that San Antonio Lager wasn't already trademarked. That you could just <laughs> call it that. That's yeah. you know you got lucky there. That's awesome. Uh, it was uh, the the naming process was kind of interesting. So like um, we all got involved because it was you know yeah. it was our first introduction into cans. Yeah, we yeah, wanted it to be deal. something big, and before you kind of engage the uh, the sign firm, like we were going back and forth and had this long list of um, options for names right okay and it didn't have san antonio lager on there because it felt like it was like too obvious well, yeah right yeah i wouldn't put it on there and then i was <laughs> we were like we were th- walking through the pros and cons of all these other names and it's like these are all just it's too complicated like they're trying to do a little too much you right. know and it's so like what, what really is the beer that we we wanted to make and what, we, what do we want it to represent and i was like well san antonio that's, that's it right so um Initially, we weren't sure either if we could actually do it. It was like someone else must have done this back in the someone day. Someone had to have done it. Yeah. Well, I know like San Antonio, because when I was talking to Kunzler, she had told yeah. me originally, Vera was telling me that I think she wanted to call it like San Antonio Brewing or yeah. you know, something like that. Okay. And that had been taken. Huh. It had been used a long time okay. ago. So the actual like beer itself, yeah. with the name was not, yeah. but that's funny that, that the brewery was. Anyway, that's cool. Um, yeah, man, but I want to back up. So y'all, y'all been around for a while. I mean... 2010, I think, is when yes. everything kind of sort of started. Started, yeah. you know, you kind of opened your doors and things like that. But before that, you were working at USAA uh-huh. um, with a couple of friends, and you would go to Flying Saucer, which at the time, kind of unfortunately or embarrassingly, it was really one of the only places to go get good craft beer at the time. Yeah, I mean, um, we we a lot of things have happened in San Antonio the last 10 plus year. I think that's been really good for just for the. Just culture and then just in general options you have as far as when you want to go out and, and do things around town, right? So, oh yeah. Uh, but for us, yeah, it started. We we met through our our day job and then quickly found a hobby outside of work, which was initially drinking beer and then it right. kind of led to other things along the way. Did it lead to home? We all home brewing? Uh, not initially, right? So yeah, we ended up there, but it was probably when we were, I want to say maybe a hundred beers in on getting our um, plate at the Flying Saucer. Yeah, so tell me about that. So you were, you would, y'all would go to the Flying Saucer and you would drink these beers and if yeah. you get to 200 beers, correct? Can you imagine? They limit to three a day, right? Which right. is which is probably safe. Right. Uh, but you can get credit for up to three beers a day and then... So you gotta go, you gotta go a lot. You gotta go a few yeah. times. Yeah, and, But then when you get to... I mean, we had a regular table in there. Like, honestly, our whole business plan came together over a bunch of brews over there That's and awesome. a bunch of... Uh, just hanging out and just, I mean, initially just, just conversations, not really with the idea of starting a business, but yeah. that's, that's where it led. But clearly right? you had like a shared passion for Yeah, beer. exactly. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting. Like, um, if you got to drink two on a different beers, I mean, you get exposed to every style you can imagine. I was right? about to say, what kind of beers were y'all like, what did you used to drink? I mean, it was, it was honestly more like uh, shiner and just, yeah. just, um, pretty mainstream beers, I Did guess. They have, they have a huge selection now. Did they, they have that back then? It was pretty similar. Like, not okay. as much, obviously, from Texas because there weren't right. as much uh, to get. You probably had some real ales. They had some real ales. I mean, Live Oak early on. Live Oak I, is I mean, there, the yeah. Live Oak Half was one of my favorites kind of getting into. Yeah. yeah. 
as a lot, a lot has happened over the years. It's kind of gone through a few um, iterations, but that, yeah, that was that was one of my favorites. Uh, five and two was another one. Like not that you could get here, but just from whenever we went up there. Saint Olaf was obviously been around for a long time, but uh, yeah, I think the the passion kind of grew while while uh, sampling all these different beers, and then. Uh, you learn a lot by getting exposed to not just drinking uh, lagers, I mean, yeah. you're drinking all styles of ales, all types, uh, and it's an interesting, it was like an educational journey for us, for sure. But y'all, at the time, didn't brew beer. So not y'all no, no, at home brewing. But we got curious pretty quick. You got curious yeah. quickly, but so you, the, the idea started coming together that you wanted to do a brewery mm-hmm. slash distillery. I mean, that's kind of a big chunk to throw on there. Throw yeah, the it, it on was... There. Uh, it took a while to get there, but I think, uh, yeah, TG went up to get a homebrewing kit from Austin, homebrew okay. shop. That's cool. And then we added the drinking and beer, you know, uh, sometimes during the week to <laughs> meeting up on the weekend, homebrewing and drinking right. more beer. And quickly, you kind of learn the process. Uh, we ended up brewing the, the Hefe beer I mentioned, the Lovestruck Hefe that we now sell. So the same beer that you sell That's the same, at like the same right beer. now yeah. is something you were homebrewing yes. back, you know, 10 years ago. First few batches were not great (laughs) and then it kept going kept getting better uh we ended up bringing it you know just sharing with friends uh bringing it to different parties and different so you were taking it to people and i mean you can't just taste it yourselves you're the ones making it you gotta like give it to your friends yeah and this kind of it's in for sharing right and they liked it they liked it and then i think it was batch five we entered into the dixie cup which is the largest homebrew competition in in the u.s which is in houston every year okay and we won two gold medals with that beer, and then it was like, shit, this this yeah. uh, this yeah. is not good. And we were getting we were getting a little cocky, you know. Yeah. I was like, okay, so I guess we, it, it was a um, at least uh, some kind of confirmation that we we knew how to brew this style of beer uh, to stop. Some right? validation from, yeah, exactly. from the industry as a whole, which yeah. if you're just three buddies hanging out, like you, you was, know, it was you know what beer it was is a little boost. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's really <laughs> cool. Is that kind of what? That getting those gold medals did that kind of propel you into like the more serious level of all right, well maybe uh, we should kind of do it. I honestly like the, the best way I can describe it. It was like a three-year journey, yeah. right? So there wasn't any one step that kind of was like, let's make a business out of this. At least not for me. It right. was like a hobby that just kept exploring new avenues, new aspects, and then when we sat down at the end of that, let's say three-year journey, it was yeah. like. We knew so much, and we kind of built the passion for both the brewery side of the business as yeah. well as the making Texas bourbon. That it yeah. was like hard to pass it up when the when the business plan seemed to make sense. So yeah, it was like we have all of the knowledge now. We've been doing this. Yeah, for so we ended up going years, yeah. like you start home brewing, and and then after that you want to go visit breweries, right? And yeah. it was like went to visit other breweries and just started making friends and kind of learn more about where, the where would y'all go visit? industry. I mean, the ones we talked about were kind of the first ones we hit up. So it was 512. Um, Did you tell them what your plan Live was? Live Oak in, in, up in Austin. Real Ale was early on. Uh, were they, all a few were times. they accommodating the y'all? Oh, know? yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, um, I mean, some of those people we still call them for, for help and ideas and stuff that's kind of something i noticed about the brewery industry i love it man uh, even now where it's much more competitive and obviously the landscape changed a lot but yeah. it's still i think that's the core very friendly because that's where it comes about i mean you want to share a beer like that's yeah. it's the 
craft and the art of it that I think comes, when, comes together. When I went and uh, interviewed Brad Farbstein at Real Ale, after the interview, he was taking me to give me a little tour of the production facility. And while we were walking from the offices to the brewery itself, we ran into three dudes, just like my age, just like young dudes. Yeah. And, and he, you know, talked to him for a second. And then after they left, he was like, yeah, they're opening up a brewery in Austin. And uh, they just, they come down like every weekend to, yeah. to, to pick our brain, basically. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, we love giving information. Out, exactly. man. It, it like makes the industry better when they yeah, do I think that. So. Yeah, yeah, the whole industry as a whole has more knowledge. Yeah. yeah I just think it's really cool that it, and, and for us, like, as a company, like, the way we learn about it and got into it, I mean, uh, we're, into, we're into this business just to be able to share with other people. Yeah. Like, it was a passion of ours. We learned a lot about the products and the process. And, like, us kind of giving back and sharing and, and make sure some other, other people know a little bit more about it. That's cool. I mean, that's kind of the satisfaction of the whole thing for the most part. So let's get into logistics a little bit. After that three-year period, you decided, sure. well, man, I mean, we have all the knowledge, we have all the info, let's kind of just do this thing. <laughs> um, what was kind of the next step once you decided to make the, take that leap? Was it, was it funding? Uh, so was we, it? Were, we were all uh, fairly recent MBA graduates, which I think made the, the business plan uh, a fairly serious endeavor. So. Right. Uh, the three years we put together in a plan, it was like 100 pages, and it was like, this is what we want to do to make Texas first distillery, right? So it's a beer, it's a production brewer for San Antonio, and it's a Texas bourbon. Oh, so there wasn't the another Texas. one like that? Not, not anywhere, no. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. That's yeah. cool. This was 09, so uh, recession, not, not the best time to start a business. Right. But what we realized was that people enjoy drinking during good times and bad times. So true. Uh, so um, a lot of our friends' family that we had sampled our beer with uh, over the last couple of years, they ended up being our first investors. So we ended up awesome. with um, 25 investors all in all, and mostly just from friends and family, or they connected us with other folks that were other interested in, in the beer or whiskey side. Okay. And uh, I think by the end of 2009, we raised about a million dollars to get started. Wow, um, which is definitely enough to It's a, It's enough to get started. And, yeah. then, and then on the whiskey side, you reach some other um, kind of milestones along the way. But yeah, right. uh, but I think that was the scariest part. We, I think it was like uh, December 2009, we reached like 850 or something, which was like our point to pull the trigger and order the equipment so yeah. you can push the button on ordering the equipment yeah. and then it was like holy <laughs> you know a lot of uh, cussing <laughs> now all of a sudden we, we own our own business it's real right? yeah. and the timeline starts and you go from just an enthusiastic hobby brewer just you know loving the industry to now everything is kind of on our shoulders, so well, that was that was fun and scary at the same time. When you pressed the button and started getting the equipment, did you yeah. originally get that thirty barrel? Have you had the same system same for the system. last ten yeah. years? So yeah. you went from home brewing to a thirty barrel yeah. system. I mean, that's a yeah. big, big. I run. mean, we uh, our vision was pretty clear, like what we yeah. wanted to do for uh, San Antonio. I mean, there's, there was no production brewery at the time, right? You had a couple of brew pubs. Uh, but no one really selling in grocery stores, selling anywhere. Who was right? around at the time? Uh, you had uh, Freetail and Blue Star as so, far as brew yeah. pubs. So Alamo and they was couldn't. not around yet? Alamo was about to start. They were Maybe around a time, I'm not sure. But uh, if anything, they were just contract brewing to real. So like there was no real yeah, they were presence. Doing that. Uh, 
so first production brewery uh, in San Antonio. So that, that kind of vision played into what, what size brewery we wanted to have. Right. And same on the whiskey side with like uh, making, a, I mean, one of the first Texas bourbons um, just kind of decided on like what we wanted to do. So this space was intentionally a little bit bigger than what we needed from day one. Right. Just in order so to be able to grow, grow into it a little time. bit. Yeah. And that's... I mean, that's what's happened over the first uh, nine years of the business. Did you bring on, um, like, a head brewer, or was one of y'all the head brewer? Yeah, so uh, uh, one of three of us ended up being the head distiller initially. So TJ um, just learned a lot along that journey with us and and started uh, designing all the recipes of kind of what now is our award-winning portfolio of of whiskeys. And then, yeah, we already had a head brewer in mind, just based on someone we knew and that had experience in the industry prior. Uh, Did you steal them away from another brewery? Uh, he'd had a lot of experience at other breweries. He was currently working at at uh, uh, at a uh, beer place. Okay. Uh, but we kind of as, as as we build the the business plan and the beer side, he'd been along for the ride. So okay, we were very familiar with the portfolio we wanted to get started with and kind of. The process and what else we needed to get going and did the build out the whole build out process from the moment you pulled the trigger and like found the building and you know started ordering the equipment did that take what six months a year uh, how long did that take long time right so if we go back i think we ordered equipment in november like i mentioned uh by may we moved in here and in this building so that's okay. what five months uh give or take maybe six months right Side note, that's when I had my first child that same oh my month, gosh. and I bought my first house. It was just, uh, we just decided to kind of go yeah. all in and do it all at the same that's time. That's crazy, man. <laughs> that's awesome. And then it was, um, so let's say that was like, actually end of April, early May, and then um, I want to say until September, October, when we sold our first beer. So okay. over the summer, uh, get comfortable with the system, kind of build out the, the lineup, uh, test batches, etc. And then uh, by the late fall, we were uh, we launched with our first beer. So you launched, what was your original lineup on both sides? So you had, what, a couple beers, three beers? Yeah, original lineup was, uh, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned them now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know many of them, but we had a... Oatmeal Pale Ale, which uh, we've had in the OPA, lineup dude. until... I love it. That was the first beer I had from there. You yeah, go. that was the first one we launched with uh, day one. Uh, it's gone a lot better since since then. <laughs> we had a Mesquisma Porter, which okay. was uh, really cool. We smoked some of the why, grain. Why did you discontinue that? Uh, it was a little... The packaging ended up going around, so it worked well on draft, but it was like... Uh, started with bombers and then went into okay. uh, bottles and... I should bring it back as a seasonal here. You should definitely so, bring that. Yeah. I would buy that for sure, man. It, it was really good. It was really good. And then you had the half. We had a half, and then we had uh, uh, basically a lighter amber ale or a love struck. Or no, it was called. What was it called? Something on the lighter amber side. Okay. It kind of came. So it was, it was four original kind of beers that we had. And then on the whiskey Lucky side? Lucky Old Son was the name of it. What was Lucky it called? Old Son. Lucky Old Son. Okay. Uh, I was one of the originals too. I can kind of see the label now from. Yeah, them. yeah. Did y'all, did y'all come up with all those names just on yeah, the fly? Yeah, yeah. That was just, that was just us. <laughs> what? Because uh, did you have like a branding team and a marketing team and all that stuff at the time? Or was it kind of like y'all? From from it? day one, it was just a, a friend of a friend. It was right. like a graphic designer, but it was, I mean, it was all just us and uh, I mean, very. I'm not going to say amateurish, but you know, 
Right. It was like we were involved in everything, and right. you kind of. It was a lot of first for us, but you really enjoyed the ride, right? So you like, I don't think we wanted to not be part of it either. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I agree. Uh, but if you look at some of those things now, you kind of, I mean, it worked for them, but but now um, it, it needs to look a well, little bit better. When you're first involved with the business and you start something, you are, you have your hands in every single aspect of it. It's really hard yeah, to exactly. relinquish that control a little yeah. bit. And, and it's just fun. You're so excited yeah. about it. And so, yeah, yeah, eventually a lot of yeah. places like, okay, I'm going to hire a yeah. branding agency or a marketing, you know, whatever it is. Exactly. But yeah, those first few years, it's always like that. That's yeah. funny. Um, and y'all were self-distributing at the time, right? Self-distributing, which was a whole nother, uh, I mean, that's that's a half other business just to basically crazy, drive man. out the beer, service accounts, make sales yourself. Did you have a van? Would you? We started with one van. Okay. Uh, ended up getting stolen one time, and then we had a, a whole Facebook campaign. Like everybody in the city were looking for it, and they we found it. it. We no found way. It. Yeah. We had to kind of patch it up. They had just they had broken into it and, and stuff, but we we got it back. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, just a little side note. They they actually stole it from here, so they could haul other people's stuff off from like the neighboring lots wow. that they were. Um, so I they guess, stole stealing. it to steal other stuff. Exactly. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Whatever. And it had our <laughs> logos on it and stuff. So yeah. It's like it's not your most um, inconspicuous vehicle for escape, vehicle. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I don't know. Um, but you're asking on the bourbon side, or I mean on the whiskey side. So originally we just started with one product on the whiskey side. That was the bourbon. Uh, that was the one that you still sell, the, the exactly. 36 yes. caliber. So yeah. we started with 36 caliber. And again, filling barrels in that spring time frame of 2010. Okay. And then we started selling them uh, in 2011. So that was the first launch. And so, so you got to have it sit in barrels for So with the beer, you were self-distributing. You were only doing kegs at the time. And so what? You were just, were you your own salesman too? Were you just going to local bars and promoting yeah, yourself as like the only, you know, it was, the only breweries it was, in San Antonio? It was super easy. Like yeah. everybody, so like they were all people like, yes, were, please. People were crying for our beers. That's I awesome. mean, so it was, it was, uh, the limitations was just of making sure we can make good stuff. Yeah. And honestly, some of the, stuff we made were not the best like that we like we were still learning i guess along the way you probably had because you were one of the first if not the first you probably had a little bit of leeway there and, no i think we had quite a yeah. bit like people were pretty patient with us yeah. and very supportive and we started doing like open houses here and stuff and like you could just tell like the city was like, hungry the city for it. was really hungry for it and, and it was really cool you could see like they were thankful almost for us yeah man. taking the leap you know and and we knew already then that I mean it was it was just a matter of time until we get other other brewers around town. I mean I, we just felt like it was we had to, I mean we had to kind of lead the way. And you just and you did you yeah. very much did. So like yeah you would go to a lot of bars and just give them a six pack or whatever. Is that how you would sample it out or would you invite them here? Yeah, you, you bring in like a growler or something for them to sample uh, and. Uh, I mean, a lot of these folks we already talked to, they knew about us as we were getting ready, as we were, like, brewing the beer. So they the were beers. just like, bring it to me and I'll, I'll yeah, take it. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were ready to, to buy day one, right? It helps for them, man. They can market yeah. it to their customers as a San Antonio brewery. Yeah, exactly. It's going to sell out super yeah. quickly. I mean, yeah. I bet y'all were. Were you having issues with production at the time, like keeping up with demand? Or? Yeah, I mean, production was the, like, the, the selling was no problem yeah. at all. <laughs> it was really producing. So then you got to that issue where you were, yeah, kind of yeah. needing to produce enough to keep up with that demand. And that's what can cause like those inconsistencies sometimes and things yeah, like exactly. that when you're early on. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, so when did you, 
And you did that. How many years were you doing that before you kind of thought about getting into I HBs think we, and stuff like uh, that? I think we started HB. Uh, I want to say, I mean, it's going to be wrong, whatever I say. I think it was four or five years in. Okay. So it, was, it was a little while. Uh, but they were the same way. I mean, they were they were so ready for it, like to have a, a San Antonio brewery in there. So it, it was, uh, that process for us has probably been very different from like newer breweries yeah. starting now. Yeah. Just because it's so much more competitive. I've talked to another, um, Josh from Hops and Green. Yeah. And he was saying, because they started, they got into... HEBs around like 2010, yeah. 2011, maybe 2013, something like that. Yeah. And uh, he was like, yeah, my, my experience with it has been just a breeze because yeah. we were one of the first ones, yeah. even in Austin, doing it. And now it's just like a nine-month process. Exactly. It's like very complicated. So yeah. with y'all, it was pretty easy. Yeah. You just got right in. And yeah. what were some of the first things that you sold in HEBs? I think we started with the six-packs OPA. It was one of the early, early ones that we, we got in there. Okay. Uh, and then after that, just added additional SKUs in our portfolio that we had then. Um, the, I guess a, another very popular program that we did was the sour batches back then. Like that, that ended up being just playing around. Like we were very familiar with barrels and just in general from the right. whiskey side. Exactly. And, it gives you an opportunity and, to mess with that. Yeah. yeah. So, so both like in a small batch series, both on the small batch release that we did and just on the whatever other, um, barrel finishes it might have been okay through like the i think we've done 13 releases or something like that were you doing bombers at the time for places like central market and hev we did bombers for some things the small batch was mostly in 12 7 ounce okay. so like in a kind of different shape uh, bottle and at this point had you hit any major was it all just kind of uphill everything was just yeah. skewing upward or were you hitting any hurdles or obstacles or anything like that uh i think I mean, no major obstacles. Mm -hmm. Like you just realize the different points. Like, uh, uh, I mean, it's almost like I'm not gonna say a hobby business, but again, like you're you're learning as you go in those first right. few years, which is very much what we did, right? And then, um, um, but on the beer side, as you grow, I mean, you, you you run into a lot of just you have to become more efficient. You have, I mean, you have to figure everything out. You have to make get your it, systems make, in place. Yeah, you can't that's hard. play around and do things manually, right? Like we talked about the consistency of the batches. Like yeah. consumers, when you get into package, I mean, they expect the same beer every yeah. batch, right? Uh, which which um, the style of your brew and like how you brew them changes, right? So you think early on, because you were doing things so manually it yeah. was a little bit more inconsistent so you had to figure that out like, yeah for, for we sure we got to get more automated for sure we have to yeah that's that's part of it and then just packaging yeah like we started with gravity filling uh bombers and okay. it was like it was great people loved it but it was like you can only do so much if you, you gravity fill the bombers only right? do so many yeah then we brought our own bottling line in and it was like we we got it working but it's still like it was a a lot of stuff going wrong Crappy, like, kind like, of like inefficient. and you bring in yeah. A whole, yeah you have a whole other part of business right now you're in a packaging business in right a sense, so then right? you got to figure that whole aspect you got to figure that out and now the last couple of years going into cans we just hire people to come in and do it for us we actually are so that's one really of the benefits nice. of doing these <laughs> yeah, you've been like okay benefit. dude we'll start canning yeah we'll get some really sharp looking labels because yeah. these are great right, who yeah. does these by the way uh, O&H Design out of um, Dallas do these so they kind of have their O&H brand design is on here um, they all it's just original, original friends to one of the other founders but they've just been doing a great job so 
every brand that you see in market on the beer side is going to be about an edge brand design okay and then they're actually working on our whiskey rebranding now so soon soon Are they really hopefully that they'll be helping us with all the whiskey stuff okay so. very cool and you yeah. notice that, that i mean i'm sure that makes it i mean this can right here just pops off the shelf yeah you uh, kind of need it to be again like there's so many more SKUs now right yeah. on the shelf right so one you need to be recognizable and then for us like um there's more competition for brands that are not from around here right, right. or brands that are owned by like conglomerate um uh, brewing companies right and but they make it seem more local they see, yeah. than it is right yeah. so for mm -hmm. us like that's how we compete and win like you need to know that it's local and you need to know that it's us that are making it so in that sense i think with the san antonio lager like since we have this kind of in front of us right right it's just one of those brands where you get the historical aspect of old san antonio mm -hmm. and you still recognize that it's definitely a product that's that's made right here so this was a little bit of a shift for us where okay. we had more of the ranger creek in focus previously but we noticed it was like almost more confusing on the on the branding side okay with the whiskey and beer and, and it, it all can, that stuff. it can get muddled a little bit yeah it, so yeah. now it's i mean it's like it's it's a beer brand and it, it works it works really well for oh us, yeah so. man i think it's yeah. great uh, you'll, you'll see a uh, salt and lime here in the next spring of this one and then there'll be so we had done we've done the san antonio hatch lager so okay. far which has been just for hatch season Oh, I haven't seen we'll that. We'll do uh, salt and lime in the When in is the that going to come out? Uh, next spring when it starts getting warm again. So. And so it's just kind of naturally infused with salt and lime? It'll, it'll be delicious. Yeah. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for that. Um, yeah, so the first few, you know, like you said, three or four years, you were just getting your systems in place. You, yeah. you tried bottling and stuff like that, and you were like, that is way too much going yeah. on. Uh, were you hiring people at the same time? We were growing. I mean, we're adding people. And um, uh, well, the way we, we set it up, actually, we didn't all – the three founders didn't start here on day one. Right. So we ended up moving over here kind of over time, uh, partially to allow the business to grow, right? Okay. So we don't spend too much uh, money on salaries and stuff. And it just allows us some flexibility on, on, on how we grew. Okay, cool. Um, the whiskey side too, like, like if I talk to someone now, I never recommend them to start. Like, I mean, having a brewery in the still, it's like having two businesses at the same time right because yeah the, you the think you can just maybe operate as one yeah. but probably not man <laughs> we used to say in the beginning it's, it's like uh getting two businesses for the price of uh like one and a half right you know, right, right. some joint equipment etc but just the way distribution worked the way sales work so you're going through different channels for like it's everything it's completely yeah. different and it's rewarding rewarding for us to have both right but it's uh i mean it's challenging just from just from that standpoint Right. And with the, the whiskey, I want to talk about, about the actual uh, products that you have and okay. all of your different, different offerings. So, yeah, I guess we'll start with the beer. We, we're drinking the San Antonio Lager. You have several kind of just year-round production beers. Yeah. So we talked about some of those earlier. Are those still the same ones as that you're offering currently to this day? Yeah. So San Antonio, Sky Trooper IPA, Love Struck Cafe, and our Sunday morning coming on Coffee Ale. Okay. Like a four year round. So you can always find those. That's H E B, that's Central Market, that's Specs, that's any of that's those right. any of those places where yeah. you can get beer. Yeah. Um, and are y'all in how far how wide is your distribution network? Are you going to Austin? Are you in Houston? We where, sell where we sell ninety percent in San Antonio. That's crazy. So like yeah. we when we uh, I mean we sell more here by the day, right? So I mean it's really our focus market. Uh, but we do have distribution in, in Austin, Houston and Dallas as well. So okay. you can find 
uh, bourbon barrel stores there for sure. Uh, the lager. They won't be as in as many stores, but mm-hmm. like if you go Total Wine and Specs, those type of places, they'll, they'll have them. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you have those year-round production beers. You also yeah. have your Texas Bourbon Barrel Series, which yeah. is like your Wee Heavy, your Imperial Red, and your Russian Imperial Stout. Yes. Um, what's going on with those, and what's the idea behind those beers? Uh, so I guess I'll, I'll back up just a tad. So our um, uh, up till last year, our small batch series was kind of one of our larger, smaller releases that we did regularly. Right. Which we talked about briefly earlier, right? That's the anything that we've aged in a barrel, the sour, uh, the where cherry, the sours and, yeah. and different things, and it just we got great feedback on them. It's always been like we we let them sit in there for a few years. I mean, these were That's crazy, these man. were really good. I mean, very well received beers. But we, I think, we realized that again as you grow, like. Uh, um, b- growing our sour program was not really going to work. It's hard, yeah. yeah. It just takes a lot of space. You can't scale it easily. It's yeah. very hard to scale, and you don't want to, you definitely want to keep it separate from everything else, just from infection risk and that type of thing. So, our bourbon barrel program was kind of introduced to replace our, okay. our small batch series. So, okay. the last small batch that we did, which was the, the 13 that we talked about, that, that's going to be the last one on that. Side. So that one's phasing out. Exactly. Okay. And then instead what we're doing is, and we've done now for the last year or so, is, is uh, a different bourbon barrel release every quarter. Uh, so we'll do a limited release, 30 or 60 barrel typically. Okay. Um, that we, that we uh, can in four packs. Awesome. And putting kegs as well, obviously. But uh, and then we rotate some of the skews. Sometimes we do new ones, and sometimes we come back to previous ones. And so that's what you the, mentioned. What's with the process the, on some of those? You got the wee heavy, the imperial red, like some of these. What? How long do they age for? Like? Well, uh, I mean, brewing process starting there, it's pretty pretty uh, involved, right? I mean, you're yeah. looking at a ten to twelve percent beer typically. So the amount of grain that you're using is a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three to four thousand pounds every batch. So when wow. it starts there, uh, we fill barrels and then they're gonna sit in the barrels for any time between four and six months. Crazy. It really depends on what our brewer kind of um, deems right for that style, right? And they so go into your thirty-six caliber barrels. Are they uh, different barrels? I wish we had enough of those. Right. So some will go into our use our own used bourbon barrels, mm-hmm. and we actually have to bring in extra. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Kentucky barrels, just because we don't have enough cool, uh, for what the volumes that we're doing. A lot of our, our own ex bourbon barrels ends up being used for our other whiskeys, so our rye and our single malt. Right. Uh, which, um, you know, if I have to prioritize, it, it will kind of go to the whiskey. One hundred percent. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you can always get more barrels for the exactly. barrel stuff. Exactly. That's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, and where can people buy those if they want to get? Your, uh, kind of you can find beers? you can find some of them in HEB, like it. Um, they're not going to be in all HEBs. Yeah, so it kind of de- depends on the. I mean, if they've got bigger selection, they're going to be in there. If they don't, what about the not. downtown, the that, south floor as well? I mean, I would have it. Yeah, they're be over there. And yeah. Same with uh, again, total wine specs is kind of usually where I point people for those because they're going to, always going to have it. And now since we can sell it here, if you're anywhere you know close to the northeast part of town, just come by here and pick them up. So you can just swing by over here during business hours and gra- grab mm-hmm. a case. Yeah, like you were saying. A or case. you can Both. even fill a growler if you want. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. That's pretty nice. That's such a cool yeah. new yeah. law. I, I like it a lot. Um, we haven't talked much about the whiskey. So yeah. your whiskey is grain to glass, yeah. um, which is a pretty rare thing actually in Texas to create a grain to glass whiskey. You have your 36 caliber bourbon, which is the your most popular like yeah. Texas bourbon. 
Um, your rim fire, which is kind of like a scotch. Is that what's yeah. going on with that? Yeah. Um, Light smoke scotch. Your 44 yeah. rye, which is like 100% rye. Is uh-huh. that what's going on? And then you have your 36 caliber white, which is like a white dog yeah. type thing. Um, yeah. So talk about the whole whiskey program and, and just tell I me a think, little bit about uh, um, I guess I don't know where to start. It's, yeah, the whiskey, I mean, it kind of grew from, we went on Kentucky, uh, on the Kentucky bourbon trail. Oh, wow. Before man. we started a business. I and it was like, that. it opened our eyes to, I mean, they've been making great bourbon for such a long time, right? Uh, they perfected their process, and there's so much great product coming out of there. So it was like, we started asking ourselves, well, why isn't there anyone making uh, Texas bourbon? Like, Texans drink more bourbon than the other state. It, right. it would make more sense if someone here actually made it. Yeah. Uh, so we were like, there got to be a reason, right? So we were starting to play around with filling um, smaller casks, like this five-gallon cask you see right over here. Okay. So we started filling those, um, let them sit. It might have been sitting in my garage over a summer. Maybe, maybe not. Right. I'm not going to say. But uh, we were just curious to see what would happen. And, uh, I mean, it started aging just amazingly. Is it because of that, like, intense heat? It's the the heat, the, the... Humidity is like a base thing that you need, okay. right? So we got that here, check, yeah. right? Um, and then heat is really good. You get really limited maturation under 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Like okay. the, it just mostly sits dormant, so you need heat. Okay. And then you want changes in temperature, which allows the spirit to expand into the wood in and out, right? We, I mean, check, we got all that, right? So what's the problem? There is, there is no problem. Okay. <laughs> so, so we were trying it out, and it was like, man, this tastes amazingly after a relatively short time in the barrel, right? Because the maturation happens a lot more quickly. There is one downside, which is like a sacrifice, I guess, which is the angel share, which is basically the percentage of uh, spirit that you lose, right? Uh, just from it sitting in there. So just think about uh, Kentucky, right? I don't know. It gets up to maybe eighty or low nineties during the heat of summer. Here in our rack houses, it gets up to up to about of 120, a little bit yeah. hotter, right? So imagine about the pressure inside of a barrel when it gets that hot, right? Uh, everything wants to expand. You have all the liquor fumes. You have the alcohol. It's just like it's intense pressure. And the way we see that is when barrels either start to leak. I was about to say, so it almost like just uh, absorbs. Into yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. So if you got any weaknesses in the in the cask itself, and that's why. Being a cooper is such a hard, hard line of work, right? right? And that's been something that's been perfected for a long time as well. But uh, we get higher loss rates, which is basically the annual share. So that's the downside. That's the downside. What percentage of loss rates? Uh, well, we average get is about over over the age of a, a straight bourbon here is going to be about twenty five to thirty percent. Seriously? Okay, I thought maybe so, ten. Yeah, you put let, let's say you put. Five gallons in there, you get you know three and a half, three and a half out, uh, out or so. Um, and how long are you aging? Are they, do you age all of them pretty much the same? No, it's kind of that very. Change? That's the other thing that, that kind of, um, I guess, coming into this industry from a little bit different perspective. Like the size of the barrel uh, changes the the wood to liquid ratio, right? Okay. So smaller barrel is going to be point. more wood wood to liquid, so it doesn't have to age as long. So when we started in these smaller casks, it was sitting for a year, two year and a half, and you don't want it sitting any longer, right? It's kind of over oak, not taste as good. Okay. Uh, which so that's the time frame for the smaller barrels. 
what you typically or what you see now, what we use is either the, the fully 53 gallon cast, which is the traditional size, right? Or what our straight bourbon mostly uses 25 gallon cast, which is going to be half the full size barrels. Okay. And do you use more, um, like, is your mash bill more of a, a grain, more corn, stuff like that, uh, to kind of soften it a little bit, or you just give we, it a nice punch? I mean, what, what we started out on is we started with a, a different grain bills. We started with like about five different cooperages okay. to get barrels from different parts of different states because how to, uh, the density of the wood makes a big difference on the flavor profile. So you of wanted the to see product. different options. Yeah, so we like were that. playing around with everything That's to smart. kind of find the, the ideal aging ideal type of bourbon to make a texas bourbon right okay. uh, which if you're not playing around with the barrels i mean you're really losing the most important ingredients but what makes it texas bourbon like what's, what what makes what are you it for? what makes it texas bourbon is really the unique aging condition and the terroir you get okay. from aging it and the climate that we just talked about how that plays out on the final product uh, if i give the bourbon as an example it's going to have uh, even more bold characters right just because it is going to sit short in a barrel compared to okay uh, a kentucky or a scotch so just like two years for uh between two and a half and three years for okay. the 25 gallon cast okay typically for the the larger cask three to four years okay. for us okay um it's a good amount of aging about double that or you double that you get to kentucky you double that again you get to scotland if you're lucky right so gotcha. it's, it's like um and it's just a, a variable of the of the heat so it's all about temperatures and really, climate. that's really, all it's yeah. about that's really really interesting but uh yeah so the, the cooper and the, and the barrel has a big impact on the flavor profile and then yeah the, the corn i use so we use only texas corn 70% of the grain bill is corn. Okay. And then we use rice to flavor the grains to get a little spicier yeah, uh, back uh, end yeah. of the whiskey. Uh, so 16% are gonna be rye. But um, that was probably the first couple of years of the bourbon side. I mean, we sold everything we made, but we also were able to perfect our recipe that, um, that then ended up being our flagship and won uh, best in show at you know the largest whiskey competition in the U.S. That's like yeah, you were getting high accolades. Kind a, of immediately. a lot of that was was from the build up of putting the work in, figuring out both the the type of uh, barrel that you use, figuring out how you distill it, but also the aging aspect. Also. I was talking we released Tweety Oaks uh, recipe or episode today, and he was talking about the same thing where it's like. Yeah. You know, to do the experimentation and to do put the work in. Well, yeah. then it takes you got to wait for it to age. It yeah. takes years to yeah. do all this. It just takes a really long time. It to does. Yeah. Get it, and then if you screw it up, then it's like, well, where do we go from here? Yeah. And yeah, so I think it's really interesting that you tried all these different versions. Yeah, we to were, we were kind of. I think the, the I guess the angle that we came from was to make an authentically Texas bourbon, right? Right. We didn't want to mimic, mimic Kentucky bourbons. We wanted. I mean, we know that they make great product, and we wanted to. Uh, used their best practices as far as the right. process right but then it was like well how do we make our own that we can be proud of for for this day where we use the raw materials and like the heating environment to make something really awesome and who at, at the time who, who else was making texas bourbons uh when we when we started we didn't know of any anybody was and Gar then garrison brothers wasn't around yet uh yeah he was he was like i think we were within our first year or so uh, Balcones and Garrison yeah. had started. Like I started. think the when they started, like 
I mean, I don't really care who started first. Right, like, yeah, yeah. But, um, like, as far as the early ones, yeah, we, the three of us were kind of the, the ones to start. Um, I just always find it really interesting time. when, I mean, there's a million people that do it now. Yeah. They're everywhere. <laughs> and it's always cool talking to someone who's been doing it for 10 years now. And, yeah. Oh, when I started, man, there were just, like, five of us. Yeah. You know, I, I just think that's a really I mean, cool you thing. had nowhere to look for advice yeah, or help. Like, it was all your internal, like, well, what, first your vision of what you want to do, and then, like, how do you figure out to improve? You know, constantly improve and learn things and just make it better. So, and was that more like your side? You seem like you're pretty knowledgeable about all the distilling. Uh, so, uh, TJ was one of the co-founders. So, so he was the head distiller. Okay. Like uh, uh, his background prior to to our uh, USA day job was he was in the military for quite a few years. Okay. And I think his just attention to detail and. Uh, Focus and obviously wanted to improve and perfect the product yeah. really fit really well for that. Yeah. So he was he was led the way for all the product development. It didn't hurt that he'd been drinking bourbon for you know forever. Right. And then he grew up in West Virginia, so he had you know. I don't, I'm not gonna speak for him, but you sure. know they they know a little bit about distilling over there as well. And so you were you got that out of the markets, and yeah. it was at places like Specs and, and things like yeah. that, Total Wine, maybe yeah. some of those. Um, and then you were also entering into some competitions and was winning competitions, yeah. and that's the 30, 36 caliber. That's right. Um, that's cool. So then you have your Empire, you have your 44 Rye, um, the the White Dog, the 36 White. Yeah. Is that something people buy a lot? <laughs> that seems kind of like a specialty item. Almost. Yeah. It, um, we introduced it for two reasons. So one is as a um, cocktail option for mixologists. Ooh, so if you go yeah. to uh, Cured here in town, for instance, they use our white uh, as the base for their signature cocktail because okay. like the corn base gives a little nice sweetness uh, that's very different that's compared cool, to man. just using a vodka or something that you get nothing out of. That's right? really cool. So that was part of something we've been talking about for a while. And then the other aspect, just as a whiskey connoisseur, you're able to taste the before and after the barrel, right? So everything, this is what goes in the barrel. Okay. So understanding the process and the impact of the barrel, yeah, the best yeah, way yeah, of yeah. doing that is just to sample, sample the white first. Like that is the education process. Exactly. Right there, yeah. Like it helps, it makes it so easy for me to just... Um, yeah, give people some additional knowledge and insight well, into the... It's interesting. Of, I mean, I've gone to Garrison Brothers for yeah. a bachelor party like five years ago, yeah. and they did. We had it on the tour, the White Dog. They give you a little thimble of it. It's super strong. Um, but I don't remember them selling it. I just, you're one of the first yeah. people I've seen that actually... Here's a bottle if you want to yeah. buy it. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And now what, what's happened is, I mean, we use it for... I mean, some margaritas and stuff that we do have for certain, certain events and stuff. I think so there's a lot of cool... Uh, you it's know, like, you, you can use it for a few things, yeah. Um, so if people come here, and you can buy all that stuff here, the, the brewery sure yeah. distillery, right? If people come to your, you call it a brew distillery? Yeah. Um, not a technical term. That's, that's what <laughs> you all call it. Um, they come here. What are the hours here? What can they expect when they come to visit? Can they take tours? They can obviously taste and sample stuff, and yeah. now they can buy beer and whiskey and tickets. So a uh, gift shop is open 10 to 4 daily, so you oh. can always come out here and pick up stuff if it's uh, whiskey or beer or just merch stuff. And then... Uh, Best way to f find out about all our events is to go on our Facebook page or go to drinkrenewcreek.com and just check out all our events. But we're always open uh, Friday and Saturday nights, so awesome. 5 to 9. We, we do different events, different food trucks out here. Okay. And then we do Sunday brunch, noon to 4. And so if you're out for those, you can both drink out here and then you can you know, buy your, buy your uh, whiskey or beer and, and take with you when you're Sunday when you're brunch, done. is there food? You know, food on Sunday, yeah. yeah. 
the truck outside? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Um, yeah, so what's on the horizon for you guys? Obviously, you've been just kind of killing it the past 10 years. <laughs> um, you got had a lot on your plate, yeah. and you're um, doing distribution everywhere. You're in about every bar here in San Antonio, yeah. uh, HEBs, you know, all, all that stuff. Really cool new cans, new beers on the horizon. Um, but, yeah, what do, you, what do you have going on? Anything you want to talk about? Uh, Anything you want to plug? I mean, we have a lot going on. Not too much I can go into in, in, in yeah. detail just yet. I, I guess I, I can just say we want to make a lot more whiskey, right? So okay. currently we're, we're selling all the whiskey we can make. So we're just trying to figure out we can make more. I was going to ask you that, by the way, uh, real fast. So I've noticed when I first started seeing your, your whiskey bottles yeah. and like when I would go to that Specs right off I-35, sure. um, they're in the smaller, they're smaller bottles yeah. for the most part. Um, it's not like you can go get a handle of Ranger exactly. Creek. Um, is that by just because of production necessity and stuff like that? Is that by design? Uh, it it mostly is, right? So originally, we, when we started launching our products, they were mostly coming out of smaller casks. It right. made sense to put them in smaller okay. bottles. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as we've grown, um, we're, we're using it as an, a little bit as an intro, so you're able to get introduced to our brand by, by buying you know, a smaller quantity of, of whiskey, if you like. Uh, that will change though. I mean, so the, by next year you'll see a rye in big bottles, and soon after that you'll see the rimfire as well. When you say big bottles, you mean handles like the big? Uh, I, I mean 750s. That's probably so as, that's probably okay. as big as we're gonna go. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, um, yeah I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take you off your thing. <laughs> no earlier, but yeah, was there anything else? I you think uh, um, I guess just generally, like we look to make. Um, um, more whiskey, and you, you'll see that take place here in a few different ways in, in the awesome. near future. Just uh, slight remodel here in the tasting room, which I'm excited about, just because we, we keep getting more people coming out for both private and, and public events. Uh, so just finishing this out will be nice, so we can you know sit in a little nicer table, a little comfortable seats yeah, when you come back in a few weeks. Uh, we are looking at. at some other things, but I'll, I think I'll have to get back to that when it's when the yeah, plants are further along. I always like to get that, <laughs> that first info, but yeah. yeah, I can't get it. That's cool. Um, what do you when you're not working? I mean, I know y'all just got to be crazy busy, but yeah. when you're not working, you're just kind of hanging out. You have a day off, you know, whatever. What do you like to do in San Antonio? Do you have any good <laughs> restaurants, other like breweries you got like to go to? Anything? Uh, like that? Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say I had a time, but uh, not not too much time, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Uh, you a homebody. I have I have two kids, so yeah, my, my daughter is nine, so she's the same age as this business, and my son is six. So I, I you know I try and spend as much time as with yeah. them as I can. That's cool. Um, we do like to go out and eat, so I mean, there, any new restaurant opens up, I mean, you, you'll you'll see me there for sure. You've been to Clementine. Uh, say what? Clementine. I haven't been there yet. No. I haven't been over there either. Yeah. Man. That's the one. That's like the one I haven't been. I've got it recommended to me uh, from some friend of ours. So, but. Uh, uh, cookhouse we talked about earlier I, I do like going there I've been Always there, I've been there a few times uh, Pearl I just like that area like they got a lot of good food around there I think like I mean we, we, what else do we do we spend time outside just just relax I mean I, I like playing playing soccer so I play that that's nice yeah that's cool yeah. Um, so you've been around like we said you've been able to watch the beer scene really just kind of grow and flourish and sure. start to thrive here in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you think about the current state of the, the beer scene, and are you proud of your contribution that you've been able to make to the culture? Uh, super proud. Like so, uh, I'm I'm not gonna take credit for any part of it, but just I guess being able to be part of being one of the the first to get into it here for San Antonio. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I mean, that was always what we had in mind was was like to change the beer scene here and, and like give people a lot more options and local things that they could be proud of, right? Yeah. So, uh, like every time I think about that, it just kind of makes it kind of warms my heart. Yeah, man. Um, I see that continue. I guess the um, the side that we have to challenge with or we see every day now, like uh, as we talked about it, getting more competitive is. Yep. Uh, what I don't like is like big breweries um, um, selling beer like if it was made here locally. So right? you're talking about those big time conglomerates like a Miller or like yeah exactly like that like that, that, yeah. that buy up um, um, Texas breweries and then the other you know it's just a uh, it's one it's harder to compete as a smaller uh, brewery in that environment yeah and I feel they kind of misrepresent a little bit on how consumers kind of know what's you know what they're buying and uh, where the money goes. What are some of that? Because I talked to Brad Farbstein and he yeah. said the exact same thing. It really irritates him when people <laughs> do that. And they never did any sort of advertising. It was all organic growth. And then when that started to happen, yeah. someone put up a big billboard right outside of his yeah. place saying, you know, advertising a Texas brewery in yeah. quotes, but it wasn't a te- you know no no longer was yeah. it owned and operated yeah. in Texas. Um, and so then they started having to put up yeah. billboards to, to combat that a little bit. And so you're starting to see that with smaller breweries having to do yeah, that. Yeah, and it, it's like. Um, um, I mean, it's business, right? So there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, you get it, it helps. It kind of helps with beer choice and stuff. But I think what it is, like, uh, that's a little more complicated. If you go into an H-E-B and you look in the beer section. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, you, you really don't know. Like, I mean, that's the reason why we started is because we wanted consumers to have local choices, right? And you don't know if you look in there, like, really where it's made or right. what, who you're supporting when you buy most of the products now. So what's an example of something that somebody might see that's not as local uh, as they might think? I mean, Carbock is just a, yeah. a recent example yeah, that, just that because most it's, recent. it's really big and it's kind of everywhere and I think how people got into it. Um, it I mean, it, it's a model. It worked really well for them so nothing wrong with that but right. it's, you know, I think you should know if you're, if you're buying a, uh, an InBev beer uh, or you know just something, something and the idea local. is just pay attention you know the same thing also happens on the whiskey side and a it happens, lot of people, it happens even more on the whiskey it side happens a else. lot on the whiskey <laughs> side and in that a lot of people think they're drinking some like small batch like yeah. super cool like and we, I mean we get that all the time on the whiskey side and it's it's uh, um, part of the reason we started the Texas Whiskey Association which I'm not sure how familiar you are but um, yeah. we just launched a the first marketing aspect of that organization was the Texas Whiskey Trail that we launched just... Um, oh, that's cool. I want to say, you know, the dates kind of go back and forth in my head right now. Uh, I think it was was end of last year that we launched it. Okay. Uh, but again, it's, it's intentional, the Texas Whiskey Association, just to promote products that are made here in Texas. And so what is that? Is that like a map that you can follow? And the, the Whiskey Trail is a map, yeah. So you become a member, you have certain levels huh. of membership, and then cool. you can check in when you go out to different distilleries, like include in your membership, you get a free tour at all the participating distilleries. So who's on it? You're on it? Uh, there's quite a few distilleries that are on it now. Yeah. Like if you go to texaswhiskeytrail.com, uh, I mean, you can kind of find all the distilleries there. A lot of places up, but uh, it'd be kind of a cool, you could start here in San Antonio. Yeah. And if you want to go up kind of in the hill country, there's a few probably. Exactly. Hill country, you have, springs. yeah, you have that. You have a couple in Houston, you have a couple in Dallas. So, okay. I mean, it's, uh, that's cool. Um, like so, I, if I mention someone, I will forget some. Right. But right, I right. think we're, 
it was, it was kind of cool. I, I think we're almost up to having as many members and on, as on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. That's crazy, man. And it's like, I think they added a few recently to make sure they're ahead of us. But like that, sure. that, that to me is like how you, uh, and like a funny side note, yeah. TJ, who, who I mentioned earlier, who's our, was our head, head distiller and kind of originated all the other recipes. He registered TexasWhiskeyTrail.com and bought that URL like 10 or 11 years ago. Wow. So like, like it was already kind of in his head. Yeah. Like, like we're starting this now, but I mean, over time, like you're going to have these, like we're going to have a Texas whiskey category, same as you have a Scotch, same as you have an Irish whiskey. That's awesome. Man. A Canadian whiskey. That's cool. And the Texas Whiskey Trail is just kind of one way that we help market that and help people realize, you know, what's made here. And that education factor is huge. And it yeah, and it's like any, any new industry where it's starting to get traction, right? You're going to get people that want to make money on it. I mean, it's just, it's just oh, yeah. capitalism. It's how it happens, right? Um, but, I mean, we're just excited about the... I guess the, the trail and the category, and we have so we have certified Texas whiskey that you you, you see on different products. If you can see cool. that sticker on that bottle right there, actually, um, yeah. uh, you'll see the same sticker on other products from other distilleries that uh, are made here as well. So Texas. if you don't see that, we don't it's see that. Not a Texas made product. Most likely not a Texas made product. And that's so that's kind of all new stuff that's happening. That, like, it's just the in the last know. year. Yeah, wow, we we kind of got huge. to the. We talked about the camaraderie on the on the, on the brewery side. Um, it's not as friendly on the whiskey side, I guess, sure. right? Because it's a little more the, I don't know, the proprietary process. Uh, maybe a little more that it takes year to age, right? So right. you don't want to spill those secrets. I, I don't like. I don't really feel that way, but I think it's more common in the industry. I understand, yeah. But we got into enough Texas distilleries now. Where it's like we feel like it's better to to uh, work together, yeah. Uh, just you know, and help educate consumers again. Versus all of the, I mean, it's kind of if you go to uh, Specs, for instance, and you look on their shelf, right? Half of the products that say Texas on them, right, are gonna be just Kentucky whiskey or a spirit of some sort that's marketed as like a Texas yeah maybe thing. mixed with just vodka right put in a bottle that's crazy, and, and sold as a texas whiskey right and that's just like that a lot of occasions like you might want to buy that right it's going to be a lot cheaper right and it might be perfect for what you want to buy right but you shouldn't think that you're buying a texas made product i when, completely when that's agree what with you're that. buying, right? that's the only thing that we want to communicate and then I realized that buying like R750 milliliter for, for bourbon for $50 right. is not going to be your everyday uh, shelf bourbon, of right? Of course. Because it's, it's expensive compared to a lot of things. Right. But for what you get, and if you try it, it might be the bourbon that you bring out you know, for special occasions or if you have people in town, like that's ho hopefully what well, the bourbon that you take it, man. If you can yeah, buy exactly. that here in San by the way, are you the only distillery here in San Antonio that does the whiskeys, the Texas whiskeys? Uh, currently we are. There's a, um, you have Alamo Distilling that's okay. it's been around and they make some products. Okay. Um, and you have uh, Maverick Whiskey that just opened They're downtown okay. that yeah. will have a whiskey at some point right but but very new but it's but cool knowing that you we're, go we're the specs. only one on the trail right and yeah moment. and you're probably the only one on the trail and you're the only one like in the liquor store yeah and so right. if someone sees you there you know you're buying a product that was made right down the street and that's yeah dude that's important that was, that was the city man. that was the goal anyways <laughs> um 
So yeah, we have a lot of potential entrepreneurs listening to this podcast. Sure. If anybody's listening, kind of like you were 12 yeah. years ago yeah. when you were drinking beer with your buddies, thinking about opening a place, <laughs> not didn't have a lot of resources. Yeah. What would you, um, you know, is there a piece of advice that you would give someone? You, you said earlier you would not recommend doing a distillery and a brewery all yeah. at once. Uh, any other piece of advice you'd give someone? I think for any entrepreneur, I mean, so I've been in this industry now for, like we talked about, 10 plus years. Like if you're not passionate about it if that's not the reason that you get into it then just don't do it yeah right? it's not worth it it's not worth it like it's a to me being an entrepreneur is doing something that you love and kind of get the satisfaction so for me i get the satisfaction from people enjoying our products like whenever i see that it's just like it's just give me a little bit of a boost, still right? to this day yeah exactly yeah, that's, yeah. Cool. that's why i love being out here and giving the tours every now and then because it's like it's the it's the best feeling whenever that happens uh, so I think getting into it for the right reason, like okay. to me, that's most important because it's, I mean, every day it's going to be work, right? You can't really, it's hard to take a break if it's, if it's your business. So it's not always if fun. You, either. If you don't love it, then yeah. yeah, I mean, not everything. I mean, you have to do a lot of stuff that you don't like doing, right? So it's like, if you don't get in it for the right reasons, then I think you're going to, I mean, you're just not going to. You're probably not going to be successful, right? Right, and you're not going to enjoy it as much. You know, the the whole ride, I guess. And if you're lucky, it's a long ride, so you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Dennis Rylander, thanks for having hey, me out here. No, it's been a checking pleasure. out the place, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for you've been like I said. A lot of people in San Antonio know you. Yeah. A lot of people in Austin know you. So I can't wait to yeah. release this episode. Yeah, a lot of fun, man. Thank you. All right, no, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to Building Something Out of Nothing. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can email me at ed, that's ed6238, at gmail.com. If you'd like to serve Shotgun House coffee roasters in your restaurant, cafe, or office, shoot us a quick email at orders at shotgunhouseroasters.com or contact me anytime at 254-913-9031. Our intro music is provided by the Delicate Boys from Austin, Texas. You can find this song and their entire album on Spotify. Thanks.